One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. Hi, Spanners here. The good news is we've got some great midweek content for you again. We've got an interview with one of the most recognisable names in F1 media. The bad news is Alex Van Jean is also here. Hello, Alex. Hello, from my mother-in-law's house, where I have literally turned up with all my stuff, laid it on the table, said, bye, I'm leaving you alone for the rest of the evening to come see you lot. We appreciate your sacrifice, because we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Tonight, we're joined by... Formula One presenter and journalist. It's Will Buxton joining us in the shed. Will, thanks so much for dropping in. Our absolute pleasure. It's lovely to be back in the shed. It's been a while. I see you've got some new tools, some old tools in the shape of Van Jean. Um, But uh, it's lovely to be back, mate. Firstly, can I check before we get going? Can I check that you're not wearing any jewellery? You don't have any body piercings and all your underwear is podcast appropriate? Uh, It is. It is, yes. I am actually wearing underwear, not that you can see on uh, on this Zoom, but I've got some jewellery, but you're allowed to keep a wedding ring on. Is that I've right? Got an, I've got an engagement ring, so I guess that kind of, that's the same. And I've got a ring that my daughter gave me when she was like two years old that I've never taken off. So FIA can do one. That's staying on. Yeah. No one tells Buxton to take off his daughter's ring thing exactly yeah. exactly yeah. exactly yes well that and more controversy i'm sure to come our way in the next however long we're going to be here so i couldn't be bothered to stay up for free practice one in australia because it's far away but when i woke up and started tuning in everyone was talking about underwear and jewelry and and body piercings and and whilst it may feel like a glib question i think it lends to the broader topic of race control that they felt the need to specifically start talking about everyone's pants and jewelry yeah, I think it's it's a shot across the bows, isn't it? It's kind of new headmaster starts at school and starts really just clamping down on everything to say, look, if you think that I'm being pernickety about this and you think I'm getting on your ass about this, 
or just wait till you really step out of line. And it kind of, I think they're trying to show that they've, they've really looked through the rule book. They've gone through it all with a fine tooth comb and they're going to stick to the letter of the law, you know, from race one, bomb white line is the side of the track. That's it. We don't need to tell you this anymore. That's the rule. We're going to stick to it. And I kind of like that. I like, I like that. It's just clear. It's concise. And it's, you know, so I think it's just a message of intent shot across the bowers right from right from day one. I mean, to be honest, with regards to the um, jewellery thing, that they use that rule as low down as like rental carting. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Have, it's not. It's not have, a new it's, rule. It's, exactly, it's that whole case of everyone's throwing their arms up in the air because they think it's aimed particularly at Lewis. However, one of Lewis, one of my favourite comments from Lewis was, "I've got piercings you can't see." It makes me wonder if he's got a Prince Albert, but that'd be weird. All right, we're not explaining that one to <laughs> to anyone. But yeah, to be fair, well, I thought you were talking about the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, anyway. A lot of people did kick off saying, is this specifically aimed at Lewis Hamilton because he's known for liking his jewellery and his fashion? Yeah, but it was the first time it came up, I remember being about 10 years ago. And at that point, it was like, is this solely aimed at Tonio Liuzzi because he's got an eyebrow piercing? (laughs) So you know what? It's like same arguments back then. But, you know, the same thing about the the fireproof underwear. Yeah. Um, You don't be wearing nylon pants you know, if you're in the middle of a fire, because if everything else is fireproof, but your pants set on fire, that's, that's no good. And you know what? I remember about a decade ago, we were at the Nürburgring and Charlie Whiting sent an edict out to the teams. And he basically said, look, three quarters of you are running overalls that are not FIA compliant because the, uh, the compliance patch that goes on the back of the collar that, you know, you will see on the, on, on every set of overalls that you have has to be stitched on as to the letter of the regulations, not ironed on because it could burn away or, you know, burn wow. up if it, if it got into a fire. So these ones that had been printed on were basically contrary to the, to the regulations. And so Charlie was like, well, I'm not going to let you get in the cars and go out until you've got sewn on patches. And it was, re- and it was something really, really basic, but I quite like that. I just, you know, here's the rules, stick to them. And now we know where we're at. Black and white, it's what we need. Sort of reminds me of those old uh, rock and roll stars that would have their rider that would make very weird claims like M&Ms but take out all the brown ones. Yeah. Sort of a way to check that they've got everyone's attention. Yeah, a little bit. As I said, I think it's just like, you know, headmaster, new headmaster at a school, first weekend, just being like, you know, proper hard ass in the first week just to lay down the law of, I'm here, I'm in charge, don't mess around. And it's a I bit. Kinda, it's kind of cool. It's it's a bit weird that you know where we're into April and really the first we've heard of this dramatic change in race control. The first time they've really got our attention is talking about everyone's cruds. So I guess yeah. that's I guess that speaks to things having gone quite well so far. But Toto Wolff was recently openly very critical of Michael Massey using very strong language, which I wouldn't ask you to comment on, but just calling him a, a liability, saying he didn't respond to feedback. Have things? settled noticeably like are people happy not online no no i mean i didn't mean the internet no one's ever happy online yeah, i didn't yeah, mean yeah, the internet yeah, no, will. <laughs> that's a whole different thing um yes no, 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 no completely you know i think obviously there's still a lot of hurt there's still a lot of of negative feeling about the way in which the end of last season played out i think you know for on both sides <laughs> of yeah. the championship fight because you know, Max doesn't deserve to have an asterisk put against his name, in my opinion. You know, I think he's a worthy world champion. Alex, what be quiet. In, We've had our say. And I, and I think that what, what happened in the final race, you know, it, it left a very bitter taste for Mercedes and Mercedes fans and Lewis and Lewis fans. But it's also left a bit of a bitter taste for, for Verstappen and for Verstappen's fans and Red Bull and Red Bull's fans, because what should have been a, you know, a triumphant victory in the world championship has ultimately been 
sort of taken away from them. They haven't been able to celebrate it and enjoy it as much as they as they should have been able to. So, yeah, I think, look, new season, new people in charge, and not just in race control, but at the very top of the FIA. So, you know, any time that you, yeah. you, you jump online at the moment and say, oh, you know, the FIA is doing X, Y, and Z, and people turn around and they say, Oh yeah, but what happened in Abu Dhabi? It's like a you know, it's like going to an election, a new government coming in, and the new government turning around and saying, "Well, we're going to do this," and they say, "Well, you didn't do it six months ago." It's like well, we weren't in power six months ago. Shut up! Like you know, it's a it's a it's a new broom. Give them time. Stop referring everything back to last year. It's a very different group of people who are a in charge of the FIA and b sitting in race control. Yeah, Alex. It was last year, Van Jean. To be fair, it's interesting, the whole thing about last year. And I've, you know, I'm never going to forget it. And I'm still going to always be a little bit miffed about it. But I've very much taken the stance of, okay, that's done now. It's not going to change. There's no point me spending energy being mad about it. When, especially because 2022 has started and it's been a great start to the season. Yeah, 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 We've got yeah, some yeah. really amazing things going on. Let's focus energy and positivity on that rather than looking back at negativity of something you can't change. It was bad, it happened, but there's nothing we can do about it. Move on. One effect from what you were saying there, Will, about uh, Max Verstappen, you know, not deserving to have that hanging over his head. Yes, maybe it shouldn't quite have gone in his favour, uh, but, you know, he'd he would have wanted to have win, won a championship without the asterisk, which I believe is there. The upshot of that might be... Yeah, I know, sorry. But the upshot of that might be that he is... Led more laps led more laps than the entire field combined. Yeah, that's why. For the why, whole season. That, that's won, why race wins are awarded had, after the first had, pit stop. Yeah, all right. Had, had more podiums than anyone's ever taken in an entire season, won more races than anyone else in the season. But okay, let's put an asterisk against his name. How about a small one? Can we compromise? Just a little no. footnote. No, does, does, no Mike, does Michael Schumacher have an asterisk against his name for 1994? <laughs> this would be my second Danny, argument. Danny, don't listen to this. It's, you know what? It's like you know, and it, we could be here all night doing this. <laughs> so, so okay, no, fair enough. Like, obviously, everyone's done that argument round and round in circles. I just wonder if the effect is that Max Verstappen is hungrier now than he might have otherwise been. So, listening to his reaction after the second DNF. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't know because you know he doesn't sit there feeling like he was handed a world championship and he needs to prove himself. You know, okay. he did. He did prove himself. He he and Red Bull took on the might of Mercedes at their prime, at the very top of what they were doing. You know, which was shown in them winning the constructors' championship, and they managed to take the drivers' championship. You know, away from them and and away from Lewis. I think he feels as though he's he's done what no one else was able to do in the turbo hybrid era. Um, and that is that's something very, very special. You can see the frustration in him at the moment over the fact that he doesn't think that he has got the tools to defend that championship. But I don't think there's any okay. feeling over last year. Um, but that's very max. You know, he doesn't he doesn't look back. He doesn't dwell on things. He's just he's all in in the moment. And you see that in his in his style of racing as well. He's all in the moment. There is no long term thinking. There's no reflection back on you know sometimes maybe what he's learned. It's it's all in the now. It's all in the moment. And um, yeah, I think that's I think that's where he's at. So Alex, you want to come in? Just want to remind you of our pre-show chat, Alex, where you and me said, don't argue with Will about Abu Dhabi. Don't argue with Will. No, it's fine. About- <laughs> you can. Go for it. <laughs> no, no, no. What I was actually going to say was, um, I actually think we've seen a much more mature Max 
in these first three races. He's raced really well. He's yeah. driven really well. Yeah, yeah. He's had he's had a really it's it's funny, you know, people think that I'm anti Max. I'm actually not anti Max. It's more more the people he drives for that I have the issue with. But um I'm gutted for Max. I don't want to see him constantly have failures because all we're going to do is see Charles Leclerc, who I really like, disappear off with the championship and it will kill the championship dead where we could actually have a really good championship because the Red Bulls and the Ferraris are actually close on pace and I believe Merck will catch up at some point. Not enough to challenge for the championship, but I believe they'll catch up you at some point. You take that back. And, we'll have, and we can have six cars fighting for race wins. Which yeah. was, when was the last time we had that? Yeah, totally. And, you know, what F1 wanted to do with these new regs was a little bit of learning from the past and drawing influence from the past, you know, to bring it into the present day. And we've got unreliability back. It's great. It's like the 80s all over again. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm not sure I quite want to return to watching like early 90s <laughs> F1 and you go, well, that's the start. That was good. But maybe Gerhard Berger or Alacy's engine will blow up. Oh, look. Yes. They, they did <laughs> oh look damon hills won the australian grand prix by over a minute um i i used to regularly i used to because talking i want to talk about the future of f1 but i used to regularly even as early as the 2000s i used to say to people i'd watch the start of a grand prix have a bit of a nap and then check in to see how it was going you know and this is obviously the days when I'd a lot work. of people would yeah because you'd, you'd go out on the saturday wake up a bit bleary-eyed the start was always brilliant and you want it in the background and then you check check on what's happened later on in the race we're not in that state anymore no. and no. f1 has changed so much since liberty media came in this feels like almost the the end of phase one of liberty so you know now we've we've had avengers assemble and now we're going to get in towards infinity war but the the, the plan that liberty That's- came in with Let's not get into the whole Marvel thing oh, okay. because then there's going to be, you know, movies are going to get released and you're not sure where they're going to fit into the multiverse or whatever it's called. Or the, you know, We'll sort all that get... out in the rewatch with the kids. It'll and all then shake there's going out. to be spin-off series and it's <laughs> going to be really complicated and confusing. And But, but ultimately kind of, brilliant. Ultimately brilliant, yeah. Um, I, th- I think I, I kind of see where, you, where you're coming from. I think, yeah, that phase one, and I don't think it's been sort of, you know, written out like this but i I see where your mind is going they they had like like a watching brief to start with didn't they yeah that first phase was kind of solidifying you know figuring out the product that they had strengthening it promoting it pushing it out there getting this new car online and then really pushing forward with with this and then you know the next juncture will be 2026 and the new engine regulations and the new car that will come in then as well so yeah we've got this new kind of like three, four year periods with this car and with the, these engine regs. And so far, you know, so far, so yeah. good. And it's great. I think, I think what's been great is seeing 10 totally different uh, car concepts of what could have been quite a cookie cutter championship, given how restrictive those regulations were. Every single team has come at this from a completely different angle. We're seeing different circuit characteristics suiting different teams, yeah. a really strong, really close fight in the midfield. We had the potential to see Fernando Alonso on pole in Australia, for heaven's sake. That lap was sensational. Well, it he, might, well, he says, it he, might, yeah, he says he could have won that twice, that race. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, he might not have been on pole, but he might have been on the front row. It was that good a lap. And ironically, had he not sort of bullied the new uh, race director into removing that fourth DRS zone, that <laughs> might have actually sort of helped him out in the race. So... <laughs> He constantly gets messed there, really. about not having DRS zones, doesn't he? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's the reason for DRS. He caused all <laughs> DRS zones, didn't he, in Abu Dhabi 2012. Uh, but, but yeah, look, the, the fact is we won't have those processional races that we were talking about no. in the 90s. And, and I don't think we can unfry that egg. I don't think we'll ever go back to that. But there was a feeling perhaps after Bahrain and, and Saudi Arabia where we go, oh, actually... It's gone so far the other way that we almost don't need that sticking plaster of of the DRS that we had before. Then we get to Australia and it all seemed to actually work in a very classic F1 race. It it worked out well. Yeah, but Australia's never been a great racing circuit for Formula One. Like never. It's never been that thrill ride of a circuit for Formula One. There's just, just aren't enough overtaking places. It's just, it's, it's a great place. It's really fun to go for a race, but they need to make some pretty drastic changes to that track if they want to have some decent overtaking opportunities and some really proper, you know, elbows out racing because it's just not, it doesn't lend itself to, to, no. to those kind of great races. But not as the season opener, I had less objection to it than I'd had in previous seasons. So for round three to turn up there yeah. and do that, yeah. Yeah, totally, because you've had two great races. I think with all the expectation that you'd have in the preseason, then you get to Australia and go, uh, uh, so, you know, you'd wait till you get to Bahrain or wherever the second race would be until you really, you know, formed an opinion about how the season was going to be and how the level of competition was going to be. Um, but that said, I thought it was I thought it was a great weekend. I thought it was one of the most exciting Albert Park races oh, yeah. that we've seen for, oh, yeah. for a long, long time. A, a relatively there low was, bar, but yes. And, you know, and and when you take away... Leclerc, who was just exceptional, utter, you know, utterly faultless. Behind, there was a there was a race for every single position in the field, and it was really genuinely a good race. You know, I I posted after the weekend. You know, that was I really enjoyed that race, and people were like, "What? It was really dull." Leclerc won by like big margin, and you're like, "Yeah, but it's not just about the win. Like a Grand Prix is about every position. It's not just about who's winning the race." Um, are, I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was a really good race. Are we worried then that people's expectations are just different to how they they used to be? So, for example, if you came in from watching Drive to Survive, which we'll go into a bit of depth, you know, later. Obviously, that doesn't paint the picture of sitting there for two hours watching strategy unfold necessarily. Uh, are we worried about people's expectations from race to race? Oh my goodness! What about Monaco when that comes around? Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, no, I, I I don't think so, really, because it's. I, th- I hope that, you know, the commentators around the world do the job of telling the story. And for as long as that commentary and that storytelling lets new fans understand what's going on, why it's interesting, why it plays into the, you know, the wider structure and the wider story of the, of the year and why things are shaping out as they are and what to watch out for and what to be excited about. I don't think that's really a worry. And if, you know, if somebody tunes in and says, I don't find this interesting, well, okay, well then they tune in and they don't find it interesting. You know, um, it's, we all know Formula One is a, it's a, it's a, a labor of love at times. And it's a, you know, it's a long-term love and you ride the rough with the smooth. Not every single race is going to be an absolute classic, but we've had three races this year, which I think have all been really entertaining. Mm. Um, fights for positions, the length and breadth of the field. And actually, I think one of the strong things about Drive to Survive is it has elevated some of the teams and some of the stories that people might not have been interested in. So you might watch Drive to Survive and come into this season as a Williams fan. 
and know that their struggle for a point was so great last year. So to see Albon pulling off that crazy strategy in Melbourne and pull off one point, you're yeah, like, well, I know popular, what that means yeah. to them. That means a lot. Or you see Haas off the back of last year, get into the opening two races, bosh, scoring points in both races. You're you're engaged with that. You're in, you know, the 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 Haas mentality of what that means for them. So yeah, a lot of folks yeah, yeah, on Sonoda know. as well, for example, that you might yeah. have got lost in the in the ether too. Yeah, or Ocon, and so you're engaged with Alpine or you know, whatever it might be. You're, I think what, what Drive Survive has done is it's made it not just about the top teams and not just about the fight for the win. It's about the human stories, those personal stories, and you know some of the the teams that might have been you know lost in the you know the sort of the 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 the, the back of the field and and a lack of interest in in the days before that. The personal story is what I take from drive to survive i'm i'm actually not interested in when they talk about the se- the season because so much of it is you know we know that the commentary is yeah. dubbed over and all that kind of thing so for for seasoned fans who watch every single race you don't gain anything out of it from that side of things but yeah, it's not to for see, you necessarily you know, yeah. like a couple of series ago um what was it they started the episode up with um daniel ricardo he called um netflix of bad work Careful. and they just yeah. used it and then you just see the personality of people shine out and shine through and you it gets you the ability to be behind the driver not seeing them drive yeah not just being a fan because they're good or they're bad or they're from your country or yeah whatever. you care about them yeah absolutely and that was all a mistake, you know, and I've, I've told this story a lot, but when they first came in, obviously they wanted to tell the story of Formula One and the world championship and Mercedes and Ferrari didn't want anything to do with it. So they had to go and look for the other uh, stories because they couldn't, they couldn't tell the story of the world championship. And so they found Gunther and Haas, you know, they found Daniel and what was going on at Red Bull with Max and all of those interesting little stories that we remember from season one that created the narratives that have rolled throughout all the seasons that came out of necessity and out of mistake because Mercedes and Ferrari were like, no, we don't want, we don't want this documentary in this film crew anywhere near us. Mm. And then season two, Mercedes and Ferrari were like, how much access do you need? <laughs> you know, yeah. Cause they, they saw the benefit of it and what it had done for, for everybody else in that first season. I think, I think where this last season has had a real difficulty is because for the first time they've had a real championship fight to talk about. And they've never had that before. So getting that balance right between telling the story of the championship and pulling out those personal stories. Like, did the Daniel story, did that need two episodes or could that have been done in one? Because by doing it over two episodes, you missed an episode where you could have looked at another interesting kind of personal story. So it's, you know, for them, I think it's all about finding that balance and really learning from season four. Yeah. And if there's a season five, you know, learning from that and putting together what made the first three great learning where season four maybe just went off the boil a little bit and pulling it back for the fifth. I I, I don't know, actually. Like I, I did hear some criticism about season four, but so I, I stopped watching somewhere in season two because I, start, I started feeling like, yeah, it's entertaining, but, but it's perhaps not for me. It's not yeah, yeah. must-watch uh, viewing for, for someone who's been watching F1 for, for a long time. But I did dip back in. I went, I wonder how they dealt with Abu Dhabi. So I, I just I skipped to the last 10 minutes and I saw that and I went, yeah. They just told it as it was. That was great. So I did go back to the beginning. And what was interesting was to see you kind of develop because obviously they know there's a lot of new fans coming in every season. So you've kind of become F1's teacher on Drive to Survive. And the way you have to pitch the level 
that you're talking to people. Captain at. Obvious. It, yeah, it's, it's very interesting because obviously we're used to you, Will Buxton, very deep analysis. But then you go on Drive to Survive <laughs> and you say, if you start at the front, you've got 19 cars behind you. But, but some people literally might not know how qualifying works. Yeah, that's one of my proudest lines, to be honest. Um, but it is, honestly, you know, sometimes they'll, they ask, you know, a very simple, people think it's scripted. It's not scripted. Yeah. Um, they'll sometimes ask me those questions, like, can you explain why it's important to start from pole position? And <laughs> I don't, sometimes I don't think they're ever going to use it. So no. I just kind of look at the camera and just go, well, well obviously you want to start in pole because then yeah. you're ahead of 19 other drivers. Yeah. And then they'll just put a nice little pause in the middle and it, it's a classic. So I've been on the other side off into the middle yeah. distance. I've been and... on the other side doing these interviews. And so often you cut out your, the interviewer's question and it's just yeah. left with the person saying that, but I think it's all been very kind of endearing and, and it is pitched correctly at people new to the sport. And so many yeah. people love it. And, and it's not, you know, if you, if you went into any other sport and said, okay, right, let's say hundred meters, you yeah. know, uh, Olympic final, Usain Bolt. He's got the fastest qualifying time to make it to the final. Oh, okay, cool. Right. So we're going to line them all up, right? Usain Bolt is going to be uh, on this line here. And then the guy who qualified second, well, he's going to be a meter back. And then the guy who qualified with the third fastest time, he's going to be another meter back. And everyone would look at that and say, but that's insane. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> you know, but so if you're coming to Formula One for the first time, perhaps you do, you know, you do have to explain the basics of, yeah. Well, why does the guy in the fastest car and who set the fastest time in qualifying get to start that much further ahead of everybody else in the field? How does that make any sense? And it's, you know, that, that's, that's part of the job is to, is to open this thing up to, to new fans. And you see the figures that are going up oh, around the world crazy. for Formula One. Yeah. And also for Netflix as well, their figures are going up year on year for the, for the F1 show. So it's clearly doing what it's set out to do. And, and so from that perspective, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real positive and it's been really fun to be a part of it. I you know, bet. I do 25 hours of interviews a year for it. If it took me 25 hours to just read a script, it would be, I'd be pretty basic at, at reading a script, but it's <laughs> five times a year, probably five hours, uh, you know, five times a year, just being asked questions. And that's why I say a lot of dumb stuff because at the start of the year, they're like, who's looking good. And I'll be sitting there going, you know what? I think Aston Martin have got a great design this year. That car's looking amazing. And, and then, then we get to the, to the first race of the year and it's, yeah. you know. Oh, I, did, I did wonder how it was done like that, whether they just caught up with you several times a year. Because one, one of the best parts is like Jack Nichols on there has the most eerily accurate commentary that's like, I want, oh, like, right. do they feed him the lines or do they say, Jack, say something about what happened there? The prescience. Yeah. It's Jack like, how did just, he know? I know, I right? Know. He's like an oracle. Pretty, it was pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, get, getting away from Drive to Survivor a little bit, uh, you, you did mention about the track-specific nature of, of the design and the teams. Uh, something yeah. we were talking about last Sunday was that perhaps with limited resources and, and less time in a regulation change uh, and having to make the compromise between fighting for previous titles and here, you might have cars that either on purpose or or accidentally would suit mechanical grip or high downforce. So this season, more than ever, you're not just going to see perhaps the same three or four drivers and teams fighting for positions. Therefore, you're not only going to see a, a seven to ten place uh, point swing. So you were going to have a lot more variety. And is that as a direct result of the cost cap and the new regulations that teams have had to focus in on? Right. We're going to be super good at mechanical grip. I don't I. I don't think so, because with a clean sheet of paper, there's an opportunity for anyone to have done a brawn. And to come out with that silver bullet, bang, you know, mm. with Alpha Tauri with P1, 
So no one's going to do what Williams did last year, which was figure out limitations in the car and then just dial in on three circuits for the year that they thought they could score points at. There's no point doing that at the start of a, of a, a new clean sheet of paper, new set of regulations. You're going to want to create, if you can, a car for all tracks, all eventualities, you know. Um, but I think you're right in the... Like by accident, yeah. Yeah, and after the first four or five races, once they have learned what the inherent limitations of the car are, and where the strengths lie in their car, then they will know which circuits they can maximize their, 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 their sort of, you know, potential points reach for the, for the season. Now, does that mean they then spend all their, you know, wind tunnel tokens and everything improving and developing the car in other areas, or do they focus very much on those areas where they know they're strong and improve those areas? Mm. In the short term, you'd say, yeah, great idea, really cool, except for the fact that this is the first year of a new set of regulations. So you don't want anybody to get away. So you want to try and catch up and you know, you need a decent baseline then for 23 and 24. So it's a really interesting, I think, moment right now to, de- to try and determine where people will, will focus and where they'll, mm. where they'll move. You know, Ferrari already saying they're not going to bring any upgrades to Imola because it is a sprint weekend because, you know, it's oh, not- yeah. I forgot a, a, about those. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So it's, you know, all, there's all of these extra little complications to take, um, you know, to, to, to take in and, and try to work out what you're going to do yeah. with your with your rate of development through the season. So like Ferrari right now, they're in the ascendancy. For them, it's absolutely vital to to make hay while the, the sun is shining and take advantage. But interestingly as well, you've seen like Mercedes go, okay, we're not even going to probably bother with qualifying we're not that worried we're setting up fully for the race let's be reliable let's let's not blow things up and i think you might see that throughout the season you know cars tip up to a track and go this isn't suiting our car this week so we'd best i don't know we'll put an extra six wheels on it we'll make sure we finish 10th and get that point yeah it's like Haas last weekend you know, basically just bring the thing home. Don't scratch it. We know we're not right, going to score yeah. any points. Don't damage we the might, engine. Yeah, not again, yeah. please. Uh, we might get a lucky point if things happen at the front, you know? And I think that's, yeah, some teams are going to have to do that. And certainly until they know where they're at with the cars and until they figured out yeah, where they, where those developments should be should be spent. Oh man, I do love wildly speculating pre-season. And it's like this year, we've got like an extra pre-season because we really don't know which way it's going to go. And we've got a variety totally. of tracks up ahead. Um, it is genuinely one of the most exciting starts to a season in years and years. And since the hybrid era, we, j- we just haven't had this. No. So people are having to kind of relearn what it's like to not assume the order is going to stay as it is. I think we, we, we sometimes can overlook the fact that this is the largest technical regulation change in Formula One history. You know, every single regulation change that has occurred has been a development pretty much, you know, mm. piecemeal or, 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 or slightly larger, a, you know, a development, sort of a, a moving on from what went before. This is a wholesale revolution. Rip up what we had before. Totally new set of regulations. Chuck everything in the skip and start again. Mm. And it's fascinating to see who's struggling, who's got it right. You know, no one's got it perfect. And that's the best thing. No one has got this thing 100% on. Yeah, Everyone's got something wrong somewhere. Okay, And that's that's just the, the brilliant part of it. Will Buxton, you know, I'm a, a stoic neutral, even to a fault. But you said everyone's got something wrong. Yeah. What? Just, I'm just, I'm just curious. What a Ferrari got wrong? And is it bad? How bad is it? Is it like really bad? Like, I'm could, not sure the shade of red is quite. It's not quite. Right. Is that it? No, like it's not right. right. The wheels aren't going to just fall off at some point on the grid. No. Well, oh, there's, well. There's, 
there's 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 a lot of debate and discussion about the power unit. Is it on you know is it on a par with the Red Bull powertrains slash Honda unit? Ferrari saying we haven't quite turned it up as much as we want to yet, and that's scary. You know, it is. It is well. It, it it's if there is more to come out of it, and I'm sure there is a lot more to come out of it. Then I think it's going to be an incredible season for them, but. Uh, you know their protestations at the moment that they don't have the straight line speed of the of the Red Bulls could be. I'm not that, and that's not them necessarily getting it wrong. But that's again, we're talking about playing to the strengths, di- discovering the ultimate weaknesses of uh, of, of each concept. Uh, we're just going to go to some of our, our our Slack questions that we've collected cool. in our in our live chat. Uh, PD Adams, who I assume is American, has just gone quote unquote uh, chuck everything in the skip. Can someone break down this phrase to an American listener, please? Chuck, chuck it in the trash. Chuck it in the trash. A skip being like a big garbage bin thing, right? But this must be an increasing... Do they not have skips in America? Oh, they've got all sorts of weird stuff over there. What do they call us? Well, I'm going to look... Hold on. Mm. You find another question. I'm going to look up what no, is a that's, skip that's called in true. America. And, and I would oh. ask the American listeners, is it true there are no cats in America? Because that's... That's what huh? I've heard. Yeah, there are no cats in America. That's what I've heard. But are you finding... Something was that, being a, was that a joke of a children's TV program? I have too many children. So okay, two. That's too many. So uh, are you are you finding that as a, a problem? Not a problem, but Americans are a different beast. And I think I think there's probably more American F1 fans now. They're swamping us. Ah, uh, dumpster, dumpster, ah, dumpster fire. Okay, there dumpster. we go. That's a skit. A dumpster. Sorry. Okay, if we could just um, uh, Steve, if he says it again, can we fix it in the edit? Thanks. Chuck it in the dumpster. Yeah. Set it on fire. Um, right. So what was the question? Um, oh, American you, are, you, are you having to change your approach to media for an American audience? No. I've been broadcasting to the States for 10 years with Speed Channel oh, of and course, yeah. NBC. Yeah, and No, 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 no. No, not at all. We don't have to call it the straightaway oh, uh, or anything yeah, like yeah. that. Um, yeah. You know, he's on pit road. Don't have to say anything like that. You know, it's all. F- they get it. They get it. They're, they're, they're like us. They're just like us, it's, really. Well, the, the in thing a lot is, of ways. You know, Formula One's terminology is Formula One's terminology. And that's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's just the, the way it is. That but, is, that is the way it is. Um, yeah. And the American audience is incredibly passionate and loyal and knowledgeable. You know, you've got, but then you've also got very, very new fans in the US as well. And we were always very conscious of that on NBC too. And we had to be very aware that you could have someone tuning in who'd been watching the sport for 30 years and you might have someone tuning in who'd been watching it for 30 seconds. And you had to be able to talk to both of them at the same time and not make either one of them turn off or want to turn off, Um, which is always kind of complicated and tricky, but you kind of got to get that, get that balance right. And yeah, yeah, it's hard to do, but I hope we, I hope we're getting it somewhere near right. Kevin Orozco would like to put you in charge. Really, he says, if you were hired to be an advisor to F one oh, or, or Liberty God. Media, what okay. would you like to see in the sport? We're not asking you to say if anything's bad, but just what would you bring to the table as a suggestion? Um, I, I, I want, I would, I would love to have the sprint races as reverse grid race championship um, stuff championship order reverse yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, completely yeah. i mean it just i do take brazil as as a, a really kind of great case in point of having the fast guy at the back yeah fighting his way it, through it? i would i would love 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 to see that keep the points keep the points for mm. that race because you need the jeopardy you know 
you, you, you have to have some form of jeopardy for something. And I know, but I know that if you did the reverse grid race and then you checkered flagged it, and if you started it from the finishing results, then essentially you're just throwing a red flag overnight. So you, you might have to do what Formula 2 did, which is you have a qualifying session. That qualifying yeah, session... Yeah, I'm sets, trying to keep up. <laughs> so yeah. the qualifying session would set the grid for the, for the Grand Prix. Yeah. But your sprint race the day before could be sort of a, a small a re- point. You can see I haven't really thought this through. No, 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 I, I see what you sense. mean. So I, I was at Silverstone for the reverse grid, for, sorry, for the sprint race. So we watched yeah. qualifying. It was brilliant. It was sort of invalidated the next day when the order changed a bit and uh, Perez dropped it and whatever. And you go, oh, okay, well, now this is the real starting order. What you're saying is qualify on the Friday. That's the starting order for the race. But then on the Saturday, have a reverse sprint. And there are some points for it, but it doesn't affect the Grand Prix. Yeah, or yeah. you, or, or or what you want to do is have um, qualifying, and then you just just reverse that whole order and have a have a sprint race from that. Uh. I, I just I like the notion of an inverted race because I love seeing the fast guys at the back trying to fight their way through to the front because we all know that. Okay, so at the moment you put a Charles Leclerc in P20 and by the end of the Grand Prix, he'll probably have worked his way up to a podium place. Like, you know, Lewis would always do it, you know, over the last four, mm. five, six years, if he had a, a bad qualifying started at the back, you give him a Grand Prix distance. And after 90 minutes, he's on the podium or he's won. So I would just love to see that as part of a race. I just like to see a trial just to see how that would work out. That would be kind of cool. So the, the that's, engine that's, regs, that's something I'd like to the see. The engine regs have sort of given us a taste of that, haven't they? Because as we get towards the end of the season, you suddenly see teams having to take their penalty and drop back. We could just enforce that and go, two times a year, you've got to start at the back of the grid. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> but uh, no, one would, no one would sign up for that. Yeah. No one would sign up people, for that. People get awfully um, upset. No, yeah. you, you know what? I, there's not a lot at the moment in terms of the racing itself that isn't, that isn't working. I think it's, it's, it's looking pretty good. Oh, the other thing I would get rid of um, the two lap window for DRS. I think race star, I get it right. Mm. But two lap, usually within two laps, people can pull out more than a second gap and then DRS is pointless. So I'd have it one lap. And at the end of that one lap, then DRS kicks in like after a safety car, Mm. one lap, then DRS, because like we saw in Australia, you know, after those two laps, there was already like a one and a half second gap that was 0.8 at the end of the first lap. So you don't need two laps, just one lap in, go, DRS. If we're going to have DRS, have it, you know. I, I totally agree. I never understood why the two lap rule came in initially. Was there ever a real reason behind why? I'm sure because there was. It make I'm difference. sure there was. Been lost Do you think somewhere. it was a safety thing? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's mostly to do with safety. Um but if you're in the middle of the Grand Prix anyway, and I think, you know, sort of coming from behind the safety car or race start or whatever, you don't want DRS on the, on the first lap, but I don't think there's any reason for it to be two. I think one lap would be great, but that's just my stupid opinion. You know, um, I have, think it'd be, I think it'd be great though. Have it actually a really good question has just popped in the chat room from EJ. Um, Cause he's pointing out here on Miss Apex, we always say F1 fans should go and turn a wheel. At something sim racing yeah. go-karting you know all football fans have had a kick about with their kids in the garden they understand like the basics so ej is asking you does mr will buxton very formal i like that buy into this notion do you race yourself i've actually i've had the honor of sharing a, a kart track with you one time if you remember yeah 
I do remember. I do remember. You're Alex, handy is, is, <laughs> Alex, Alex is wetting laughing. himself at the moment. Well, no, because uh, Alex, you've got to stop. Otherwise, you have to tell like the whole story. But but you know, you fancy yourself in a race car. You were good. You were fast. Alex or me? Alex is faster no, not than Alex. me. Uh, those I'm days are gone. Than Will, but Will is very aggressive. No, Alex has got a lot of downforce, so he's good <laughs> in the corner. He's good in the corners. <laughs> terrible on the straights. Got a lot of yeah, drag. Yeah. I was going to say, what um, era? What era of Vangina are we talking here? Because actually, actually, yeah, few... actually, when I first when I first met him, he was a lot more draggy. Um, but now he's gone up and down him. throughout the years. To be honest, <laughs> he's felt now, isn't he? Look at him. No, I'm not spelt now. I'm, You're not. I'm, 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 at the, I'm probably one of the biggest I've been, to be honest. Well, I just hide it. I just hide it well. Um, you know, you, every 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 time I was anywhere near you on a go kart track, you were bumping my rear bumper, and this is coming from me because you were slow and I needed to get past. <laughs> you never did, and then cause arguments other people. But you must have some great opportunities with uh, these F1 events and the build up to the races to jump into carts with other people from the media and and stuff like that. What, didn't you go through New York dressed as Mario? Uh, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. Yeah, they, yeah that yeah, was really that cool. Was, that was great fun. But um, yeah, I've had, I had a lot of great opportunities to. You know, go and 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 cart against um, you know amazing racing drivers. That I think I did one. Goodness, can't remember how long ago now. With like Sam Bird and Antonio Felix da Costa and loads of people. It's it's kind of crazy thinking back and and people I've I've carted against like Jensen and Dario Franchitti and people like that going way way back. And then I got to race single seaters a couple of years ago. Well, more than a couple with- of years ago now eight years ago it's going back a bit but that was against latifi and stroll and max verstappen and oh, nice. those guys so that was what, what, that was, that? what was that in uh florida winter series um oh so you did a was, whole series i uh, know i just did one weekend oh, at the palm okay. beach so oh, good um, enough though isn't it tatiana calderon and fuoco and marcello and people like that it was uh, fun that was and, fun and, that and, was... and how did you do <laughs> Oh, terribly. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I started off like 17 seconds off the pace because I never raced single seaters ever. Mm. And um, by the end of the weekend was about, I think my fastest lap was about two seconds off max. So that sounds I'll take it. very impressive, to be honest. I'll take it, yeah. to be honest. And I didn't, I didn't crash. Well, I spun off a few times, but I didn't, I didn't dent the car. Um, and if you look on Forex, uh, it will forever say that I finished ahead of Nicholas Latifi in a race. So, nice. Did he yeah. crash and cause a safety car? No, 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 no. I think there was something wrong with his car and he came into the pits and then he came out behind me. Um, but I managed to hold him off for the last two laps of the race. Uh, I have to bring this up because ever since we started talking about karting, the entire chat room has gone mental. So I'm not going to get away with this if I don't okay, ask you. 30th of April, that's, in, that's the weekend after... Um, after Miami? It's yeah. Imola? After, well, before after Miami. Imola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After, uh, after Imola, we're karting over at LA Park as a missed Apex event. Is there really? Yeah, April mm. 30th. You'd, you'd, be an, you'd, be an, you'd be an honored new track, guest. New carts. Well, I, I do have my daughter that weekend, so um, she's going to take precedence. That's uh, fair enough. But I'll if- ask her. I'll ask her. <laughs> do you want to come see some go-karting and i know what her answer will be so i will say thank you for how the invitation but i might have to reschedule for another time however however if you want uh, to take one of the last remaining spots <laughs> you still can so go to www.mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting yes no mr will buxton but you can go toe to toe with an end of career alex van jean score yourself a cheeky stroll type win against a former good racer 
Brad Philpott will be there. Chris Catman-Turner. Chris Stevens will be on commentary. We've got Matt Trumpets flying all the way over from America. Our enigmatic website manager, Felix, will be there. I'll take part. I'll have a little go. I've got my own kit and everything now, thanks to you patrons from my, my last birthday, of course. So do come and, uh, and check us out. Ella Park. 30th of April, four sprint races all afternoon, and uh, and then we'll we'll get massively drunk, I suppose. The truth is, I just oh. don't want to make Fanjin cry. Yeah, this is a bit of a sensitive subject, Will, because I actually beat Alex the last time we went karting, so I was just trying it's not, not to... It's not difficult. Yeah, I know, but we... You've never beaten me, Will. Keep telling yourself that, mate. I'm going to go. I, 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 prove, <laughs> I, think, I think I've got the printed results to prove it. Listen, we've all had a drink. We'll settle this outside later. <laughs> I've, got, I've got some listener questions. Sawman17, great question here. I was just talking about this today on the DNF1 podcast. Go and check them out. I was their guest today. Uh, what would Will suggest was the best way for bringing new teams and talent into the sport? F1 can't have a promotion relegation system, or can it? Is, is there any way to change the fundamental structure, the tree of Formula One from a driver point of view? You know, like the FAI has, like football. What's, so what's the best? Are we talking teams or drivers here? I guess it's two separate questions, really. Can we start with drivers? That's the one that interests me the most. What, what's the um, way to get, you know, a tier of like proper driver talent all the way through from top to bottom? Yeah, you can't do it on age. Can you? You can't have an age limit and then retire drivers when they no. sort of draw their F1 pension. Could you do it on the basis of how many points they've scored in the year? Possibly not. Otherwise, George Russell would have been booted out a couple of seasons ago. It's a really hard one. You know, it's so, so difficult because you kind of look at last year and I'll say something that's kind of going to be unpopular, but Kimmy was basically phoning it in for the year. So, uh, yeah. you know, should he have been there last year or could that seat have been opened up to somebody younger, hungrier who might've gone out there and, you know, and really given it some look at Seb. Does Seb really want to be there this year? Is he going through the motions? There's this, and I'm, I, I'm not answering that. No, no. Because, the thing is, because, I, I, because I don't know. But I the, felt the, really harsh. Questions. I said the same thing on Sunday and I felt so harsh saying that it looked like a farewell tour. And I'm judging, I know he's just come back from illness, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. glad to look at that. Yeah, but he, he just didn't look hungry. He didn't look like ripped up. He didn't look like ready for a fight. He looked like no, he was and on I, a journey. And, I, and I, think, I think Seb is incredible. I think Seb is one of the most gifted drivers in the sport, but you kind of, last 12 months, he's he's kind of looked like we all have post-COVID, which is, you know, like hair all over the place, hasn't shaved, basically kind of like rolling in in his PJs to do a Zoom yeah, meeting. I, I said earlier it's, today, you know, he, he looked like us. He looked like us yeah. normals. Yeah. And, and that... I don't want to sound that sounds harsher than it, than it should, because I I think Seb is fantastic. I think he's genuinely one of the most just insanely talented drivers in the sport, but does he still want to be there? Does he care as much as, as he did? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Hopefully um, we're jumping to a conclusion and he's going to pick it up. And I hope it. so. I hope so. Because you've got such a, 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 it's just a huge wealth of talent just waiting in the wings to come through. You know, when you see Oscar Piastri sitting on the pit wall every weekend, you're just like, what is going on, man? Yeah, um, but it's, it's so hard. You, you know, you, you can't have a, a promotion demotion. It has to, it has to work on merit, but there's so many other considerations to take into, into effect as well. And as for teams, what would make a difference? Big old bucket of cash, I guess, you know, that's, Unless you've got the cash, it's not going to happen. I guess get rid of the 200 mil, you know, sort of dump that you've got to 
you know, throw into the FIA to, in order to, in order to even get an entry and take the decisions away from the teams because the teams, you know, turkeys don't vote for Christmas. So they're never going to vote for you know, anybody that could potentially come in and outperform them. Because ultimately if a new team comes in, like an Andretti, for example, well, one of the, and, and they do well, then one of the existing teams are going to be last and they don't want that. So <laughs> they're not going to vote to allow a team in that's potentially going to have decent backing, you know, decent shot of actually doing something good if they think that they could become last. It's what Paul Stoddart used to say back in the days of Minardi. He said, I am the most important person in Formula One because without my team, Toyota's finishing last every weekend or Jaguar's finishing last every weekend or, you know, whoever is finishing last every weekend. And the big, you know, motor corporations are not going to pay for that. So for as long as Minardi is around to finish last every weekend, we don't want to be last, but we are last at the moment. For as long as we're here, we're keeping all of those major motor manufacturers in the sport because they're not coming last. And as soon as they lose us, one of them has to come last. So, I, I, you know. Hmm. It, it drives me nuts that the um, teams and drivers get to vote on stuff that directly affects on-track um, action. So it's like every time the drivers moan, um, I mean, they won't get away with it now, I don't think, but every time the drivers used to moan about particular track limits, they'd widen the track limits. Well, I'm like, no, if they're moaning about track limits, make it narrower. If they're moaning <laughs> that the tyres aren't, aren't, good, aren't good enough, make them worse. Make all the things they don't like harder because then it benefits us watching it because it becomes more exciting because it becomes more difficult and they're the best drivers in the world and they should be able to handle this kind of stuff and the same thing goes for the teams yeah i'm with you mate you know and we're all racers at heart as well and i think that is the frustration in the last few years is the track limits would get written down on the thursday and then after free practice one on friday they say oh well we've changed the track limits on this corner and that corner no you know white line edge of the track that's the limit stick to it you know, and it, 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 it annoys me when you see whether it's NASCAR or, you know, whatever the championship might be kind of like stateside and they go to circuit of the Americas and the penultimate couple of corners, they're just using all the runoff. And you're like, mm. well, that's not the track. You know, you're supposed to be the best. You're supposed to be these incredible racing drivers. If you can't go through the, and they're like, oh, yeah, but we couldn't go through the corner as fast as we wanted to. It's like. <laughs> Then slow down. That's literally part of the like, skill. Yeah, exactly. That's part of the skill. That's and part of why so, we watch. It looked it awful. It looks so amateurish on television as well. It yeah. looks like yeah. you're watching a uh, a hatchback track day at Silverstone, where people who don't know what they're doing are driving. Shout you out to, yeah, but you it, wouldn't you wouldn't get away with that. No, I know. So, I was going to say that's a good point. You actually, get kicked out. Yeah. You know, it looks like you know. It literally it looks like you're you know you're with a bunch of mates to, having fun on a you know on a computer game. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't look like serious okay. racing. And, you know, I'm with you on that. You know, it's, it's stick track limits is one of my biggest bugbears stick within the limits, okay. white line grass, keep it at that and big curbs that you can't ride. Why do the teams have so much power? And isn't that worse by the fact that new teams now have to pay 47 billion pounds to get a new entry? Surely that exacerbates it. It all, it all falls back to, um, the political situation that existed over the last kind of 10, 20 years, threats of revolution, threats of the Formula One teams association yeah. as was pulling away, making a breakaway league, all those kind of things. And, and ultimately the teams, you know, clawing back a bit of, of a say 
uh, in everything. And um, now ultimately having the, you know, the casting vote and the F1 commission, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they tried to make it democratic. Mm. And Bernie always argued it should be, uh, you know, about as far away from a democracy as 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 possible. Dictatorship, you could say. Yeah, he. Yeah, Bernie was a benign dictator. He always wanted to sort of class himself as a benign dictator, but he wasn't necessarily so benign. He was quite active. Um, but he always thought that you needed that one person to rule everything. And and I, you know, there is an argument for that. There is an argument for here's the rules. Mm-hmm. This is how it is. If you like it, come and play our game. If you don't go and do something else. And it's, but that, you know, that's just different. That's different styles of governance, which you see in, in different sports, the way it works in formula one has worked for a long time. It does work to an extent because you want to get the teams, you know, to be on board with the changes as they're happening. Um, But yeah, as we've said, you know, turkeys don't vote for Christmas. So they're never going to be voting for something that ultimately holds them back or, or stops their, their run of competitiveness. I'm with Bernie on this one. I, I run Miss Apex with an iron fist. It's the Spanish way <laughs> or, or no way. I, you know, people say, stop Van Jean headbutting the microphone all the time. I say, no, I want that. I like that content. And, I, and he will be doing that as long as I decide he will be. Uh, Sean has a good uh, question here. And this is, this is a bit more personal, Will. Uh, I'd be interested to know who were his heroes, your drivers and teams as a lad. Um, obviously, brackets, I know he's staunchly unbiased since becoming a professional pundit, which is an interesting point all in itself. Let's start with ages. Let's be rude. Van Jean is something like 37, 36. Just 30, turned 38. Just turned 38. Jeez, that's old, man. Uh, I'm 41 slash 31, depending on if you're talking to me or my agent. Uh, where, where in that bracket are you, Will? Similar? 41. 41. Same, same as me. Same, same as me. Same, same era. Who, who were your heroes as a lad? In F1. Um, Senna, Senna oh, really? was, was my hero. Yeah, he's what what got me into got me into F one. Um, and then Damon Hill. Yeah, um, yeah, Damon was 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 massive for me, and uh, that that was kind of it. They were my they were my two two big heroes. I don't think I really I didn't really have any any others. They were they were the ones. I, I'm disappointed that I actually wasn't a Senna fan at the time. And then, but then looking back, he's been built up as such an icon that I feel like the urge to go, oh yeah, no, no, I, I definitely, I was all in on Senna, but somehow it felt like in real time, it didn't quite play out like it, like we look back on it. Yeah. But we, we forget like Senna wasn't roundly loved in the UK. You no, know, he was ar- he whole, seen as arrogant, wasn't he? Yeah. Really, and the yeah. whole Mansell mania thing. And I'm, I'm, I've seen photos of Silverstone and, you know, someone had a, a noose. They had a, Ooh, a hangman's, you know, the wooden thing and, yeah. the, and a noose hanging from it and a dummy of Senna hanging from it Rough. in the crowd at Silverstone. And so we all see that lovely photo of Mansell picking up Ayrton and driving him back at Silverstone. That wasn't just a pally thing. It was because they were baiting for Senna. Like they, they hated him and Nigel was picking him up to get him away from the, you know, the, sort of the baying mob. Um yeah, they like there was a lot of hatred towards it, and in 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 Britain, um, there's a lot of love for him, you know, in, in in the motor racing quarter. But Mansell Mania became, you know, I wasn't really in into it that much at the time. What? But uh, why? What Mansell Mania? Yeah, I was yes. sucked in. I was red five. Really? Yeah, it was, was all a bit. Five, I don't know. It was all it just. 
my dad was a Mansell fan, so I, I, I liked Mansell as well. It's funny, it's funny though. But obviously, I'm obviously a little bit younger than you guys. Um, but I really I, nothing in it. I never really grew up with much proper proper fandom. It was just a case of I'll follow the British guy. Yeah, um, default. So the Man- default. So yeah. It was, so it was Mansell, and then it was Hill, and and at that age, it was who my dad followed. Um, and it wasn't until I properly started watching F1 on my own that I then found the people I liked. I liked Montoya, um, yeah. or, any, or anyone Pablo but Schumacher. Um, any, anyone but Schumacher, yeah, I was in there. Anyone, <laughs> for, for me, Montoya was the best driver to ever not win a title. And that's yeah. even against... against um, 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 Go on, say the names, Alex. That's how podcasting works. Go my head. Who should have won a title and didn't win a title? And he gave it away. Sterling Moss. Moss, Sterling Moss. Sorry, my head, my brain went. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Um, and yeah, Pablo Moss. Montoya better than Sterling Moss. That is a bold claim. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so feedback it, at mistapex.net because Matt picks up those emails. So I don't have bold. to deal with that. Here's, yeah. here's an interesting question. Then, <laughs> okay. So when it comes to talking about best drivers ever, do you not just believe the drivers we have now are always better than the drivers that we used to have because they're better prepared. They do more testing. They're younger, they're fitter. Um, and they have so much more data, which makes them better drivers. So it's like, for example, Fanjo is a legend of the sport and I'd never say anything against that, but he was in his late forties when he was driving an F1. There's no way he would turn up in F1 these days and be as good as the stars that we've got now. Okay. So we all laud the amazing Mille Miglia win that Sterling Moss had with Jenks alongside him. But what isn't often written about is the fact that I think something like 15 minutes back or 20 minutes back from Jenks and Moss was Fangio. But Fangio didn't have a co-driver because uh, his co-driver had been killed the year before and he swore he would never put anyone's life at risk again. So he did the Mille Miglia with no pace notes and finished about 20 minutes slower than Moss and Jenks. Don't tell me that's not incredible. And that's not using all of your data and your training and everything else. Like <laughs> that's just, that's just being an epic driver. Like is Pele and Cristiano Ronaldo, right? Ronaldo, <laughs> Ronaldo would eat Pele for breakfast, right? Yeah. But who's a better footballer? You know, the football Pele was playing with, with, you know, it's like a bloody medicine ball from the gym, <laughs> you know, less more than it was a football. It's, you, you're dealing with apples and oranges. And it's this thing that, you know, got traipsed out again by the sun yesterday. The Jackie Stewart quote from two years ago, by the way. I don't know why they put that article out again. I'm, um, I'm guessing clicks. Yeah. But it's so, you know, but is and the fact that the headline said, you know, Lewis Hamilton isn't the best of all time, says Sir Jackie Stewart. So everyone goes, why aren't you calling him Sir Lewis Hamilton? It's like, because they've literally just recycled an article from two years ago when he wasn't Sir Lewis Hamilton. And it was, and it, you know, and the quotes are, are from two years ago. Anyway, but Jackie basically saying Fangio's the greatest of all time because to Jackie, Fangio was the greatest of all time, right? Like, said <laughs> Lewis, Ayrton's the best of all time. Lewis isn't going to look at himself and go, I'm the best of all time. He's always going to say Ayrton's the best of all time. And when Lewis is 70 years old and some new kid on the block has just taken his 12th Formula One world championship and obliterated all of Lewis's records, Lewis will probably sit there and go, still reckon Ayrton was the best of all time, you know, and people will go, ah, <laughs> oh, Hamilton's got no respect, you know, yeah, you know, it's because it's, I think you, you know, you just, it's, it's so hard to compare eras. 
it's it's impo- i think in any sport it's it's almost impossible to compare eras because so much changes but you know none more so than formula one the circuits have changed the technology's changed the speeds they're driving has changed the levels of danger have changed every single facet of what makes this sport this sport has changed so you can't i don't think you can compare it i think it's no. i think it's impossible but in terms of raw ability of being able to jump into a car and drive the wheels off it i think you'd go you'd have to go far to get any better than mario andretti and sterling moss i think you could put them in anything mm. and they'd win. I, I personally think that Lance Stroll would do better than Ayrton Senna or Alain Prost, but we don't have time, unfortunately, to for a counter to that. We're going to have to move on and, and head towards <laughs> the end of the show. But I would like to end, Will, by asking you a little bit about life as Will Buxton. And, and Sean sort of touched upon it a little bit there, talking about, uh, you know, having to sort of, you've obviously got your F1 fan brain and then you have to go into yeah. a journalistic mode. But I'm happy to admit here, I'm nothing like Will Buxton level. I'm spanners in a shed. But at the end of, not not even the end of last season, about about two thirds of the way through, I actually let myself get physically ill at just the weight of interaction we got from Verstappen fans and Hamilton fans. One week we would not be Hamilton enough. One week we would be too uh, anti-Max or too pro-Max. And and the weight of it just all... hits you like a a tidal wave until you realize oh wait wait it's not personal i've got to somehow park that uh, and 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 move forward and and that's without being will buxton how on earth do you manage that at the very center of f1 transcendental meditation right okay that's the tantric thing right no 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 that's different okay yeah very very different uh yeah nice so lots 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 of things really but um uh <laughs> he's not rod stewart no i had to, yeah i had to i had to really separate myself from it um because under lockdown as well i just i wasn't i wasn't in a very healthy place i wasn't really and i definitely wasn't dealing with social media very well and had to take some time off last year because it, it did mm. get too much and it yeah. did get too heavy um and it was really affecting me and um yeah I, I'm much better at dealing with it now. I think the winter was really, really hard after Abu Dhabi was really, really hard um, because it was constant and yeah. it was, it got very, that did get very, very personal. And that did get, you know, people sort of sending messages like, you know, why don't you go and kill yourself? And I'm going to find where you live and I'm going to kill you and all this. And you're like, well, this is, this is unexpected. Mm. Um, and you know, and, and you can't comment on it because if you do comment on it, people go, you're just getting abuse. And yeah, you're like, snowflake. Well, why am I getting abuse yeah. anyway? You know, and also yeah. I am getting it here, here. Here's a photo of it. Um, but I'm just doing my job and my job is to, to, you know, talk about this, this thing that I love. People wanted me to express an opinion after Abu Dhabi on what I thought went down and they wanted me to, Basically, they wanted me to to agree with them. They wanted me to tell them that they were right. They didn't want my opinion because no. if I'd given them an opinion that wasn't the opinion that they shared, they would have told me that I was a shill and that I was part of the problem. So they didn't want my opinion. Yeah. They just wanted me to add to the noise. And I refused to do it. And they, because they said, you know what went down. We all know what went down. I was like, well, you don't know what went down because you weren't in that room. And there was only one person that was in that room. And until he comments or until we see the report on what went down in that room, everything, every single opinion 
over this wasteland of Twitter is based on conjecture because no one was in that room. So your opinion, which is based solely on your disappointment in how that race panned out, is based on nothing. It's based on conjecture. And that was really, really frustrating. And because I said I wasn't going to express an opinion on it, I was literally getting death threats. And you're it's like, mad. this is it's insane. Absolutely mad. It's yeah. insane. Yako said, um, how does the hype not fatigue Mr. Buxton? The most emotional season became a long-term emotional flip-flop. And, but it, it oh. does, I tell you what, the advice people always say to me when I'm getting grief, nothing on that scale, is, oh, just ignore it. But it's impossible because yeah. you're there in a professional capacity. But it's like... If someone walked up to you on the street and just went, you're an idiot, you'd just be like, I have no idea who you are, but (laughs) have a nice day. And you'd go about your day. But if it, you know, when it's kind of being sent at you online, it's it's difficult. And, you know, you could be sent a hundred lovely messages with people saying, I love what you do. And it's really great. And you get that one that just goes, you're a dick and I hate you. You're like, you, you, you want to reply to that one and say, no, but why, why, what can I do? How can I change your, how can I change your opinion? And how can I turn this round? And it's always the negative negative one that that hurts and it's always the, the negative one that you re- reply to mm. and then and then you give it oxygen why 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 are we drawn to this negativity that to give it oxygen and also but the other question like with social media who's got the time to, to what are these to, people doing to, yeah like to go onto social media and and search for somebody and then just go oh i'm going to tell them that i hate them like you're just wasting your own time. Like, what, what are you doing? Why do you not have anything better to do than that? It just, it, it confuses the hell out of me, man. Like, any, so, so anyway, and, so and people do it. I, I just want to say that sitting on this, uh, sitting, obviously Alex is here as well uh, on the panel. All our panellists, even though they're all just giving up their time as volunteers, do get a ton of abuse. Alex gets the second most abuse from anyone <gasps> on our panel, which is quite fun. Brad Philpot gets the most by a, uh, by a long way <laughs> it's, it's only because we don't hide the fact that we're lewis fans and we didn't hide the fact that mm. we weren't happy with a lot of the way matt's conducted himself during races last season yeah and I know. that's the whole part of it i i have massive respect for the speed that max verstappen has mm. i don't think the team he is at is the best environment for almost any driver because he yeah. seems like a very hostile sort of attacky kind of place and can turn nice drivers into into different people so mm. you see all the all you see all the stuff on social media with max especially when he was with daniel ricardo they're great together yeah. and it was always great fun every every interview we see with max is always great fun but it's like he's a there's a different person being driven on on the circuit th- and when we saw an issue we called it i think Max's greatest strength is also his greatest weakness. And that is the fact that the team tell him he can do no wrong. So it gives Mm. him that kind of unbeatable mindset of, well, I'm right. You know, this is the whole world's against me and, and I have to, I have to prove them wrong and I'm going to go out and I'm going to race the way that, that I race. And they're going to like, yeah, you do, you do you, you race the way that you race. Everyone else is wrong. You're right. And that gives him this incredible strength. But then when it all goes wrong, They'll turn around and rather than say, yeah, you probably should have done that differently. They'll go, no, everyone else is wrong and you're still right. So it's, I do, I do see that. I do, you know, and it is, we, we know it's a difficult situation there. It's never been easy at Red Bull, but I firmly believe his, you know, what makes his biggest strength is also his biggest weakness. 
it's interesting. I was listening to a different podcast with uh, Mark Priestley and Mark Priestley was saying the exact same thing that you've just said about Lewis when he first joined McLaren, which was no one ever tell, told him he did something wrong. He was surrounded by yes men. And it was only once he got past that, he then started to actually not trust the people who just told him he was right all the yeah. time. And maybe Max is in a different environment where he's just being lauded all this praise on and he's not all of a sudden seeing it as, oh, maybe I should look at it from another angle. Oh, man. That sounds great. Being surrounded by res- yes men sounds fantastic. But I would have to dump every single person on the Missed Apex panel to get to that point. Uh, Will Buxton, <laughs> uh, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for being uh, so honest about the, the effects of social media because, honestly, it was something that was such a big challenge to me as a, a noob and uh, in, in media relatively. So it's nice to know that someone who's been Will Buxton as long as you've been was also feeling those effects. Well, it just, you know what, it, it's, it can be such a horrible place for people to be. And, you know, the, the internet was supposed to set us free, you know, it was supposed to give us unlimited information and lead to, <laughs> um, you know, incredible dialogue and debate and, and knowledge. And it's just turned into people being horrible to each other for the, for the sake of it. And I, I don't know how we turn it around. I don't know how we get back to, to a place of kind of understanding and I don't want to sound all soppy or anything, but I, I, <laughs> I hate it because the Formula One community at its heart and at its soul is, is full of good people who love this sport. You know, the first time I ever went to a Grand Prix, I remember being a kid and standing on, on the banks at Silverstone down at the old club corner and surrounded mm. by people of different nationalities, waving different flags, yeah. different teams different and different drivers. Yeah. And you were all united by your love of the same thing. There was none of this fractious, divisive, negative anger that exists now and i i just want to get back to that place of respecting each other the love that we have for this sport and that's what unites us and realizing we can have different opinions it's all right we don't have to agree all the time and just because someone has a different opinion than you it doesn't mean they're a horrible person doesn't mean you have to get angry with them like just get on with your day it's it's all going to be okay. You know? <laughs> I'd like to you know? echo what Mr. Buxton said just there. You know, get on with supporters of all teams and drivers, not you, Ferrari. Stand down. Okay, just to end on a quieter note, on a on a lovelier note. Just finally, you're, you're going to have a bad season with that kind of negative Ferrari vibe here, my friend. I can tell you that it's already started being bad. Will have you seen the last three races? It can't get any worse for people who think Ferrari is the Death Star and should never ever win. I do have one last question that hopefully will be on a lighter note. I've seen you do these these very imaginative like interview things. Obviously, if you're doing interview after interview for year after year, sometimes it became, becomes a, you know, let's juggle knives whilst uh, we juggle petrol-covered uh, flame balls at the same time uh, whilst we ask you questions about the season. So obviously, you have to do these setups for these fun interviews over the last five or six years. You know, who are the guys that are really genuinely up for that and a, a joy to interview and do that stuff with so it's kind of hard, like we've never gone in for the whole playing jenga or yeah, yeah. Darts yeah, or, or milk or, while driving or, around with milk yeah or any of that kind of stuff i like to just i i like to have a proper sit down with a driver and have a proper one-to-one it's been really hard with covid because we've not had that close personal interaction that we used to have in years gone by um but i honestly each driver has their own um, their own unique way. And ultimately, it's about learning who they are and what mm. they like. 
and and talking to them about what they enjoy. You know, Lewis doesn't like talking about Formula One. You talk to him about anything That's other than Formula One and he opens up. He's been asked yeah. for 15 or more years about the setup, the bloody tires, <laughs> the track condition. Like, he's done. Like, ask him about something he's interested in and he blossoms. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. I bet there's a lot of other drivers like that as well. Like, you know, Ricardo has a lot of outside interests too. So. All of them, all of them, mm. you know, they're all fascinating individuals who have their loves and their interests outside of Formula One. If you can open them up on that stuff, they're incredible. But then you also get to know their intricacies that when you do have to ask them the boring stuff, not the boring stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah. the stuff that there is, you know, F1. Oh, uh, no, you know, the, the bread and butter stuff that they get asked a billion times, you know, and when they're in that pen and there's 12 TV crews or 20 TV crews and everyone's got two questions, you guarantee those two questions will be probably identical. If you can come up with something that's just a little bit different <laughs> and plays to something that they like and that they're interested in as well and uh, would, would, would do it in a way that is personal to them, then they, uh, yeah, they can open up a bit. So here's a question then. It's Will Buxton's last day in Formula One. He's got one more interview to give and he's got <laughs> an hour to spend with anybody in the paddock who's there. Could be a driver, could be a team manager. Who's your, who's your last interview with that you really want to enjoy and, and, and have fun with? Oh, that's tough. Um, I would either Seb... Lewis, Seb, if I got an hour and it was a and it was properly, they're going to be absolutely honest and not hold anything back and just and give me everything. Um, Seb, Seb or Lewis, because Seb, I think, is one of those morally guided, uh, down to earth, proper people that I've I've ever met, um, and that I think there's a lot in his career in formula one that we don't understand fully decisions. He took um, reasons. He did things reasons. He raced in a certain way that I would love to get under the surface and really hold a mirror up and, and get to know that, you know, deep under his surface, who, who he, who he is. Um, and the same goes with Lewis as well. I think, I don't think anybody knows the real Lewis. I don't know if Lewis knows the real Lewis and oh, that's deep man. Whoa. No, well, you know, I think I think he's he's struggled for so long to to be what everybody wanted him to be. Um, I'd just like to have a really long, proper chat with him. Nice, but I don't think you could do that with the cameras on. So I think I just if I had that hour, I'd I'd have the the cameras there and the microphone, and and just burn everything straight after. Well, for us, it's felt like that, having an hour and a bit with you, Mr. Will Buxton. This is the part of the show where we would normally plug your social media, but frankly, I, I'm not sure. We will put a link to your Twitter and stuff in the show notes below, but really, you, I'll just leave you to say, I'll just leave by saying it's amazing that you will spend your time, you know, interviewing Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel one moment and then come and speak to us in the shed. We are fantastically great. I love the shed. <laughs> We're fantastically grateful. We hope you'll come back at some point and, uh, and hope you have a great week and a, a great weekend at Imola. Thanks, mate.
Fantastic. If you want to continue listening to Missed Apex podcast, not just because Will Buxton was here that one time, uh, we'll be here on Sunday with a new show. And then on Tuesday, we're catching up with Sean Kelly, F1 Statman. So we'll be collecting your questions on F1 statistics. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex podcast. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.